The VPM Daily Newscast is sponsored by Kanawa Capital Management. Your financial life is unique, complex, and dynamic. Kanawa Capital Management's team of credentialed professionals has been helping its clients build wealth and confidence through personalized planning and informed investing since 1989. Learn more at cancap.com. That's K-A-N-C-A-P.com. I'm Benjamin Dolly, and this is the VPM Daily Newscast. Attorney General Mark Herring says Virginia has processed nearly 3,000 previously untested rape kits, making Virginia the seventh state to completely eliminate its backlog. Whitney Evans reports. Rape kits, which are collected by forensic nurses in the aftermath of an assault, contain evidence that can help solve criminal cases. Debbie Smith knows just how important this evidence can be. Smith was raped during a home invasion in Williamsburg in 1989. The crime went unsolved for more than six years before a DNA analysis of her rape kit helped authorities locate her attacker. It gave me freedom. I took a walk in my own neighborhood. I was able to walk around freely without feeling like maybe he was watching me. The fear was gone. Virginia law now requires rape kits from every reported sexual assault to be tested within 60 days. Whitney Evans, VPM News. The streets around Libby Hill Park in Richmond were filled with people Wednesday as a crew removed the statue on top of the Confederate Soldiers and Sailors Monument. The city has been removing a number of other Confederate statues over the past week. An arrangement of the song We Shall Overcome was heard around the park, being played by Rudolf Bizdick on his violin. He told VPM that he hopes the graffitied pedestals will stay. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. Um, I thought this thought, and that is that the, the present swallows the past. Uh, it's, it's like watching the past erode, not really out of disrespect, but things always change, you know. Jennifer Dodge, who lives only a couple blocks away from the monument, said she was glad to see the statue go. Moving forward, Dodge said more needed to be done to contextualize the remaining 90-foot pillar, like adding educational plaques. I was just talking to my neighbor about how beautiful the column is, except that it embodies a lot of iconography of the Confederacy. Um, And so I think making it a part of the ongoing history could be a useful thing to do here. The Soldiers and Sailors Monument was completed in 1894. Crews were also seen taking down plaques around the Jefferson Davis Monument along Monument Avenue. The statue of the Confederate leader was pulled down by protesters last month. Chesterfield County's Health Department kicked off a month-long COVID-19 testing effort last night. This comes as part of a statewide push to ramp up testing. The Virginia Department of Health reports about 3,300 positive cases in the county, and just over 70% of those affected are people of color, despite making up less than 40% of Chesterfield's population. Chesterfield's testing events this month are free to under- and uninsured individuals who are showing symptoms of COVID-19. A full schedule of testing locations and dates is available at www.chesterfield.gov coronavirus. Testing capacity is limited and the county is urging interested residents to make appointments with the health department at 804-318-8207. A group of Republican lawmakers in Virginia say Governor Ralph Northam should make it a priority to get students back in the classroom five days a week this fall, and they say updated guidelines announced this week are too confusing for schools. Ian Stewart reports. 
State officials sent a 13-page letter to school divisions this week detailing rules that schools have to follow before they can reopen. It says schools can have in-person classes, meet virtually, or a combination of the two. Students have to be six feet apart and recess is limited to 50 people. But Republican Senator Siobhan Dunavant, who is an OBGYN, says the rules are complicating efforts to reopen. School districts are scrambling, arranging disjointed hybrid schedules because of confusion around the guidelines lines issued by the state and their fear of reopening their doors. Donovan says science and research shows that school-aged children are rarely affected by COVID-19. The pushback comes a day after President Trump said he was going to put pressure on governors to open the schools in the fall. Ian Stewart, VPM News. The Virginia Department of Veterans Services is reopening select local offices as the state moves into phase three amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Those wishing to set up in-person meetings at their local offices must call or email their nearest office to set an appointment date and time. Staff will also continue to be available to handle issues via email and telephone. The addresses, telephone numbers, and emails of all the state veterans services offices are available on the department's website at www.dvs.virginia.gov. The executive director of the Richmond Symphony is stepping down after 18 years with the orchestra. In a press release Wednesday, the Richmond Symphony announced that David Fisk will be stepping down on August 31st. He'll be joining the Charlotte Symphony in North Carolina as their president and CEO. Fisk said in a statement that his 18 years with the Richmond Symphony have been an enormous privilege and that he would always consider Richmond as home. Fisk will remain active in the area in a supporting role as senior advisor to the Menuhin competition in Richmond next year. As the Confederate statues in Richmond come down, another conversation is taking place about what should happen to the spaces where the monuments once stood. Pam Hervey reports. As a young African-American artist in Richmond, Austin Miles knew her future was creating public art. I personally fell in love with the impact. You know, on the first few projects that I was working on, and I felt like, oh, well, I can make a difference with this. I can help people see themselves, provide representation, and again, facilitate that conversation. And so I really fell in love with that. In cities and towns across America, public art exists in many forms. Murals, sculptures, light displays are just some examples, and is often funded by the local government or public-private partnerships. According to Valerie Cassell-Oliver, a curator at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, public art is vital to a community and is meant to create conversation. It is literally art in the public domain. So it is a space where beautification can happen, where people can have a quality of life by just having a beautiful surroundings. But public art also is there to tell stories. It's also there to signal information. Oftentimes public art takes the form of statues, monuments, but it also can just be artists' work which is non-figurative, out in the public domain. And there is power in public art, according to Colombian artist Alfonso Perez. It can express ideology and point of view. Perez feels strongly that public art must be created with community input or risk dividing the public it serves. Sometimes when you rapidly place public art piece or a public artist to make an intervention before letting people speak, it becomes the same oppressive exercise from a different angle. For more than a century, the Confederate monuments of Richmond loomed over the city's residents and visitors, and for many, they served as a painful reminder of racism and white supremacy. But the spaces around the monuments were nearly always empty. The demonstrations against police brutality and for racial justice transformed those spaces. Brightly colored graffiti covers the monument's bases. 
At the Lee statue, renamed Marcus David Peter Circle by the people, there are nightly light projections that started with images of George Floyd, Frederick Douglass, and Maggie Walker, and now include performances by black musicians like Billie Holiday and Nina Simone. Countless people have contributed to changing the space in an effort to tell a different story to the public. I think it's important for those voices to, of passion, of anger, of hurt, and some versions, love for the ones that they've lost, you know? And I think it's important for those voices to not be stifled and be hid away. Austin Miles says the people activated the spaces with art and a sense of unity. I think there's something very special about this space that once was stark. It, it was a place where nobody set foot on the grass, and now it's a place for communion. And I think there's something really important about that, and I think as we move forward as a city, we should hold on to the, the community aspect of what's happening naturally around these spaces. What will become of these spaces after the statues are removed? While the city hasn't announced a formal discussion of their future, Perez says it's an invitation for a different conversation and one that's inclusive. I think it's a natural process if you let people speak in any creative language that they want with spray paint or with dancing or photography or candles or anything and adapt that, th those voices, to the city in a more sustainable and in a more like cohesive way. Pam Hervey, BPM News. This has been the Daily VPM Newscast. Find all of our stories online at vpm.org slash news. VPM. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.